Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. When ministry succeeds, it changes everything. When everyone are just scrappy little wannabes, it's beautiful. When you succeed, you begin to hang around people who succeed. Eventually, you only hang around people who succeed. And in my case, once you have to come in and then take the bench, you lose everyone. Welcome to The Calling. This is Richard Clark. I'm the online managing editor for Christianity Today and host of The Calling. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to William Branch, someone most of you, if you know him, would know him from uh, the cross movement. He goes by the name The Ambassador. His new album, uh, When Sacred Meets Secular, is available now. It was really interesting talking to the ambassador. I actually um, interviewed him at the Legacy Conference, which is sort of an urban reformed ministry conference. And they were celebrating the anniversary of Cross Movement, which is a one really one of the first, if not the first, sort of Christian hip hop, what we think of now as holy hip hop acts back in the day. And a group that has influenced and inspired an amazing number of people. I, I talked to so many people at that conference and so many people just in general who have been influenced by cross movement. In fact, our second podcast was with Jonathan Brooks, who's a pastor in the south side of Chicago, who just an amazing guy doing a lot of incredible stuff. And and we talk about in this interview, he he was greatly influenced and, and in fact came to Christ because of um, cross movement and some of the work that the ambassador has done, that is no small thing. And I just have to think that that's a representation of a lot of other people who have been influenced in that way. So we got to talk a little bit about that, and that is kind of what makes him a noteworthy figure. There was a lot that we went into, though, that honestly kind of surprised me. He was willing, he sort of went there and and was willing to talk about his experience having a period of time where he had really sort of, I guess what you'd, you know, a lot of people phrase it like fallen from grace or whatever. He had he had, had what he calls an inappropriate relationship with someone while he was in the ministry and he had to take a step back and he talks about, he has actually pretty complicated feelings about that. And I think he illuminates a lot of the sort of complex decisions that people in ministry have to make when another person in the ministry falls in that way and is is forced to take a break. Uh, he seemed to have a lot of wisdom and he had a lot of insight as someone who had who had been in that situation. I found that to be really fascinating. It made me think a lot about sort of the automatic decisions that start happening in those circumstances. And I think even he would agree and did seem to agree in that interview that like there's an it's important to step away when that sort of fall has taken place. But it's also important to think through why certain other decisions are happening. Uh, what's a relationship look like with a person 
who has been through that? What does it look like to actually support someone? What is actually best for them and what is best for those that might benefit from their teaching? These are these are hard questions and I suspect there's no real answer to them as a whole. I suspect on a case-by-case basis it may be uh, easier to handle it that way. Anyway, he had come through it. He had experienced God's grace and, and he has a really uh, unique, interesting perspective on it all. If you're interested in subscribing to CT, supporting this podcast, Christianity Today magazine, go to orderct.com slash the calling and you'll get 10 award-winning print issues for just $10. That includes tablet PDF versions, full access to the website, including our archives, which go way back to the 50s. It's pretty incredible, actually. And you'll be supporting thoughtful, essential journalism and helping us to continue to produce episodes of The Calling every week. Anyway, here it is, my interview with The Ambassador. So you must be getting a lot of, like, people coming up sort of expressing appreciation Mm -hmm. and stuff. What's that feel like? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's always the, you know, the the best part. But I I hear that a lot. I mean, there's not a city that I don't go to. I do a lot of traveling. There's not a lot. There's not a place I don't go to where I hear similar testimony. And it just takes me back to when I used to pray to the Lord, begging him to allow the impact to ripple beyond the moment. And so when I hear it, it's like that prayer answer, those, that season of praying, God, we want people to know us in connection with you and the ministry. And we want, I, I pray that it will impact people for generations to come. And when I see dudes who say, yo man, when I was, he said, I grew up on you, but I was young. I remember you talk about when you released your first one, I was only five years old, but look at me now I'm married. I got kids and I'm in ministry. And a lot of it turned when I started really digesting what you all were saying. So that feels good to know that it was more than a head nod, but it was that people's hearts had been engaged. Yeah, we had, um, for, I think for our second episode, we had Jonathan Brooks on, Pastor mm-hmm. Jonathan Brooks yeah. on mm-hmm. the podcast, and he, it seemed like his uh, story of becoming a Christian, had, like you guys played an instrumental part, like your record played an instrumental part in his salvation story. That seems like it would be representative a lot of a lot of people's lives, them going, wait, like Christianity could be for me? You know, a person who likes this kind of music, and you guys are really outspoken about it. That seems like it would be profoundly rewarding. That, to me, is the what rocks me more than the ceremony that does it. Again, because anybody can say anything on a night where it seems right to award somebody. But those random off the cuff, you, oh, let me tell you this. Hold on, I just got to tell you this. Yeah. You know, and it's so frequent, and it's, I'll be honest with you, it is frequent, uh, and it's so diverse, and you're looking at these men, I mean, these men or these women, they're, they're pouring out, and they say, yo, you, I'm like, yo, it worked. Like, you think about, like, Pastor Jonathan Brooks, That <laughs> if that man hadn't gotten saved, what would have yeah. happened? Like, he impacted, he impacts whole communities yeah. in yeah. pretty profound ways, so it's crazy to think about the ripple effects of how that Shoot. off. Uh, another pastor, um, Mark Deva, I remember he called me up. He said I was just tracing the influence and the impact <laughs> of how Calvinistic 
you know, soteriology in particular uh, entered like sort of like there was a reclaim, um, a uh, reawakening to it and embrace, especially among the urban context. And he had us as a part of that. And in particular, one of the albums that I contributed, but Cross Movement and Ambassadors Christology in layman's terms uh, were part of that timeline where people say, hey, I was awakened to these things and God used it as a part, uh, part and parcel of the, you know, the, 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 the grand story. So. All of this is just mind-blowing to me and, like you said, profoundly rewarding. How would you define your calling? So 2 Corinthians 5.20 is my like sort of scripture tag because God makes an appeal through us saying be reconciled. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation after reconciling us. So I see my calling as the call to go forth and make appeals, make appeals that reconciliation with God is possible through Jesus Christ now. Um, I am a, I was raised to be an evangelist. I was trained in Bible college and seminaries to be a vocational minister. And so God has been gracious to give me that ability, the ability to actually, again, survive doing what I do. Like missionaries, I do not, I'm, I'm not caking. Like a lot of people look at the impact or look at the name and think this, that's synonymous with the loot. And it's may or they may think that. No, but uh, we, we don't lack. We don't lack. And um, so my calling is to represent Jesus Christ through the various platforms that God has given me. One has been preaching, one has been rapping, of course, and I think I'm going to adventure uh, into being able to also do it in academic settings. I'm now teaching at a college, College of Southeastern in North Carolina. Cool. And I'm Southeastern there, Seminary. Southeastern Seminary, yeah. And then you got to. Um, teaching me how to be a better writer. So I think I'm going to engage in through the written platform as well. Sure. What's, uh, what are you teaching at Southeastern? New Testament survey at the moment. My PhD is applied theology with an emphasis in preaching. And so it'll be within the realms of preaching and hermeneutics, homiletics and that nature. But for right now, it's, I'm just, while I'm working on the more intense phases of the PhD, I'm just doing uh, New Testament survey on the college level. What was the moment when you came to be aware of your calling? Well, I grew up with a father who was ridiculously, I mean, over the top with his affection and his commitment to the kingdom. Uh, yeah, trained for ministry. It's almost like he was being pumped in me from... For, for, so I was... I grew up in New York, so we would go door to door. We would do Jesus parties in Brooklyn and Queens. We would go door to door witnessing in the high rises. If you've ever gone to New York and you see those projects like the high rises, uh, we would just go from door to door, boom, 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 sharing our faith. Block parties in Harlem, we would just go out and pass tracks out. And so I was raised to be an evangelist like my father. So I kind of sensed it. Now, at one time, he was an accountant and a minister. So I kind of like that because we had a couple dollars and we could minister. <laughs> and I remember yeah. he said, God's calling me full time into the ministry. And then we went from, you know, exotic meals to bagels <laughs> and ham on it. And uh, so it was, praise God. But I didn't understand as a kid, I was just like, hey, just like the downturn, like I'm, I'm going to be bivocational so I can have money and do ministry. But then I, I went wayward. I left. I ran away from home. I went to live with my unsaved family. That's, that was in Norfolk, Virginia. And I stayed there through high school. So I was high schooled in Virginia. And uh, 
I just spiraled out of control and the Lord Jesus reawakened my affections for him. So I, I graduated and then I went to Philadelphia College of Bibles. I got how I got into Philadelphia. And I spent more time in Philadelphia than any other place. So Philly is kind of rootsy for me. To make a long story short, it was there that I became. So as God was like waking me up, I'd never forget it. I was a weed head. I was into the teen clubs. I was going nowhere fast and uh, when the Lord began to reawaken my affections, I said, man, what am I going to do? So one day I would witness to people, even though I was still smoking weed and I was still wilding. I was still cursing everything. I was just like, this dude said, yo, man, I ain't never heard what you just said. He said, if somebody gave it to me like that, who knows what, what happened to me? And it opened my eyes to the potential that if I had a life that was credible to go with a message that is credible, uh, it could have impact, and God used that. So it was right around 19 that God awakened me to my calling to just rep him well in whatever I did. It would be later that I'd do it through the platforms, and I saw grace in those platforms. So initially it was like a calling to not be a hypocrite. Absolutely. How does that affect your calling now? Is that like an undercurrent? Absolutely. Uh, and that's a great way to put it. I never even thought about that original calling to not be a hypocrite pervading my thought process all the way. I'm very forthcoming, flaws and all, um, flaws and all. I had a fall in my journey, um, and I beg people, let me talk about it. I want to talk about it. I don't want anybody to be able to, I don't want them to have to stumble onto it. I want to be, I want to say it. I don't want you to have anything on me. What are you referring uh, to specifically? Well, I was part of a church plant, pastoring a church, uh, and got into this inappropriate relationship and had to resign. And again, it was... I had spent all my life on the public platform. I asked, I asked all the people in my life. I said, "Hey, let's let's teach through it." And um, at the time, they didn't, they didn't. I guess they thought I, it was going to be to my advantage. How old were you? I was thirty something. So I was like, they wouldn't let me do it. Like I was like, "Nah, that's going." I don't know. They wouldn't let you. They wouldn't let you. They wouldn't let me teach through it. Um, teach through through the the, the fall. In other words, okay. I didn't want. I didn't want. So this is what happens. People like to, they don't want to give press to people who, again, I guess they deem, yo, you're, you're, you're a bad person. Let's not give you press. Because I guess when you platform like me, press may humanize you and cause people to sympathize with you. You know what I mean? Uh, if they just sort of brush it away. And this is my own assessment. Um, I still am annoyed. I'm not hurt. I'm not bitter. But I'm still annoyed in the, at the principle that we teach through our elevation, and then we sort of scandalize and, and just sort of push off to the darkness the humiliation, unless you're the press. The press would love to take your humiliation and put it on front page. So I didn't want to do it like that. I wanted to actually show people that when God brings you to your senses, you can use it as part of the story in connection, in community with people who are who are riding with you. And I was riding with all of the top-notch dudes. I was in ministry. If I mention their names now, you know, you'd be like, oh, him, oh, him, oh, him. And I was with them. And I said, come on, let's teach through this. And nobody has ever done it. Nobody would do it. And I eventually had to do it alone for a season where... I did, and I put out an album called Stop the Funeral, and it alluded to it. But again, out of respect for people who were impacted by it, I didn't I, like. I didn't go into the details, but if you, you know, people looked at the news cycle and looked at all the headlines surrounding it, they they knew people were around. What did you feel like you wanted to tell people at that moment? That I knew like, that, like you said, the hypocrite, like that I knew that this undercut 
everything. Yeah. And you, knew, you wanted to say, yes, I screwed up. Absolutely. Yeah. That yeah. I screwed up and that I, I was not running from the repercussions of having to rebuild trust. That um, you have to rebuild trust. I also did not want to now be put on a performance basis. So in other words, I also wanted to say, hey, but the gospel still applies. Uh, so there are stewardship issues that say time and 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 you rebuild relationship when it's gospel is not performance based. Well, give me time and we can have relationship. Yeah. That's not God does not make you His child over a process. He awards you by grace, sonship, and then conforms you to the image as a son. You know what I mean, not okay. When we get you to the point where we're not scared of you. You'll arrive at sonship. So I still had to say that there were people I was in relationship with that I hurt, that I was thinking, okay, I'm going to give you some human time to sort of process. Maybe you'll eventually, you know, you'll, you won't be so mad. And then the natural love we have for one another and the relationship that should still be intact. The fellowship has been injured because sin injures the ability for a relationship to exist without, you know, in harmony. But because we're, I was a part of gospel community, so I thought, you know. Um, so you felt like a bunch of relationships had been cut off. Well, not felt. it. Uh, yeah. I mean, the boat, the majority of it. The majority of them. But, but you're distinguishing between the, the performance aspect of it ending. Is that something you had an issue with? I know what I'm saying is so then there were those who were going to make you perform your way back into their graces. Oh, I see. Again, back into even oh, just. by so, perform, you mean act like a Christian. Well, act correctly. Well, yeah, doings, right? right so, okay. right, act like whatever they wanted you to act like. So, if they say, "Hey, you order, drop, and give me 50 <laughs> because I'm not gonna be your friend until I see you do 100 push-ups. You do that. They say, "Hey, I want you to go away in this. I want you to go over here in that. I want you to do." So, again, to, to just relate, I'm not talking about stewardship. Again, uh, you know, I resigned as a pastor. I'm not going back into the pastorate yet. And you uh, felt since. that was the right thing. I felt personally that was the right thing to do. Again, this this hypocrisy thing that you've, again, identified for the first time. The call to not be a hypocrite was first. Same thing even with Christian hip-hop, right? I'm in the Christian hip-hop realm. The reason why I have always talked about Christian hip-hop, I never want people to think it's a bait and switch. I plan on being so central with Christ that I don't mind you labeling it as such. But with or without the label, it doesn't matter because when we first started what's now known as Christian hip-hop, we didn't. We didn't. We weren't coming at it at the time. There was no need for a label. We went to hip hop. It always had a conscious stream. We figured we were just going to jump in on the conscious side of hip hop. But they didn't want, like at that time. Hip hop was going bad. What do you mean it was going bad? Naughty by nature, bad boy entertainment. If you go back to their beginning, that was like almost the first where bad was in the name. It was because yeah, hip hop always had a positive stream. People don't realize that its roots was actually positive. Right. The people that made it palatable to America, mainstream America, uh-huh. did so because they had positive raps. It wasn't the gangster raps. The gangster raps is what like really was off-putting, right? In the New York side. Why did that become so popular though? If that was so well, off-putting, because because that's what you saw in the streets. See, in other words, hip hop has always been a mirror and a voice for the people who didn't have a voice. So eventually, that became. Also, 
marketable. But as far as the conscious side, we thought we were going to just be conscious and we were going to be like, oh, we're going to just talk the Jesus stuff as conscious rappers. But they rejected it. They were like, you know, nobody want to hear all of that. Everybody was on their bad kick, naughty by na nature. Everybody was on their bad boy entertainment. Everybody was on that. And so at that time, we were like, dang, it seems like they don't want us to, like, basically, you can rap about anything except for Jesus. Like, Kanye said in Jesus Walks, which is not a Christian song, by the way. <clears throat> but still, it's, you know, it's a dude that mentions Jesus in a song. You know what I mean? It's a difference. I say all that to say, that's what happened to me. I was like, yo, nah, well, let's just let them know. We're not just mentioning Jesus in our music. He owns it. And he's not going to just be somewhere in it. He's going to be central. That's just our own angle. And when the industry wouldn't do it, Fortunately, by God's providence, the internet came out. And when the internet came out, it allowed you to circumvent some of the things that you used to have to go through labels to get. Just like now, the era of indie has circumvented some of the traditional music routes, right? So God allowed us to do that, and so we were able to come and be sort of independent. We ended up getting with certain Christians who were just like, okay, bet. We linked up with 7th Street Records, this guy by the name of Dave Bunce. We ended up with Tooth and, Tooth and Nail, BEC, um, you know, when we did Holy Culture. But long story short, I say that. Didn't want to be a hypocrite. Wanted to put it out there, let you know, and um, like it or leave it, because I never wanted to be undercover. God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. So I usually ask, like, do you ever, did you ever have doubts about your calling? And it seems like that moment was a pretty big area where you struggled, maybe. Did you struggle internally? Because I hear a lot of, like, there was external doubts. Did you have any internal struggles during that time where you were? Well, yes and no. No internal doubts. Stewardship. Hush, you 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 Take can you cannot get on stage because my up until that time I was the teacher, I was the prophet. What you gonna say, you know? And so it was time to chill. So there's no doubts. I was very clear that this platform ministry assumes a life to match, and that I didn't have the ability to claim that anymore. I mean, you always know you're a sinner. You know it's always by grace, which is also why I didn't think this should mean the end permanently because it was it was always by grace. There was always stuff. It's just that when the sin is fresh and it's on front street, you give it you give time for people to adjust to what is true of every great man of God out or woman of God out there, that they are sinners saved by grace and that the best of men are men at best. And then there's the address the issue. Like, how did you fall off so bad? And uh, and God, by his providence, allowed me to spend many years. I thought it would be quick. It was many years addressing these things and, again, turning my attention to my, you know my wife and my kids. And long and short of it, man, he did more than I bargained for. 
and gave me victory over things that I had never had victory over anyway. So it's funny. And through it all, he ends up addressing other things in a way that you never planned for him to address. On the whole, what what would you say has been the biggest struggle in your ministry? Okay. Why are you getting the juicy stuff right now? (laughs) That's the whole point. That's the point. Um, Well, to be honest, okay, apart from my own failures, yeah, apart from my own failures, I'm just going to be honest with you, man. When ministry succeeds, it changes everything. When everyone are just scrappy little wannabes, (laughs) it's beautiful. When you succeed, you begin to hang around people who succeed. Eventually, you only hang around people who succeed. And in my case, once you have to come in and then take the bench, you lose everyone. Oh, wow. Because you were around. And again, I was not around only people who succeed. But everybody who I was around went on to succeed and to be with only those who succeed. And ever since then, ever since like losing them, because I used to, again, I, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. That's too, it's too easy. We always talk about, don't forget where you come from, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. don't switch up now. We yeah. know you. Yeah. I thought that was too easy for anybody to fall for that, for anybody to actually do it. I yeah. thought, no, 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 my dudes would never. Like, I know you, I always know you. We hang, we always going to hang. Again, the boatload of those people, I don't, I, like, again, cordial at best. Some of them have never returned. Why does that happen? Is it pride? Is it time? What's the thing for myself? I I'm not a big deal, but I do feel myself like having a hard time keeping up with certain people because of the time that I don't have. See, see, to me that part is not the part. Okay, because it's different for you to have less time. Nothing for your affection for that person. Like so, even when you get together, right? Because if you had five minutes with them, it would be it would be on. Yeah, definitely. Because yo, yeah. whether we have five minutes, or we have fifty minutes, or whether we have a, a week, I'm talking about. A true change, a change of I don't even mess with you anymore. I'm not even. And you found that in you. yourself? No, not in yourself. Toward me. Now again, I'm sure I'm susceptible to it, but I'm just saying part of the grace of God is in forcing me down. I learned. Well, first of all, that train left never to come back. You know, um, I'm meeting new people. I'm meeting new people, and that's why I know it's something. It's it's, it's something else because again, too many of the people. Again, I, I can name names. Be like, oh, those. They were my inner circle. I thought I had friends. I thought I had a dope inner circle. I thought I was co-laboring with the most awesome ministry force known to urban ministry. And uh, a lot of those people, they, again, it's different. They're different. Their relation, The relationships are different. And so you say, what are the struggles of, like, the greatest struggles? I'm messed up in terms of me understanding the ministry for real, for real now. I don't, like, because I'm like, so one dude said this. He said, when you're at a church... You see the underbelly. It messes you up. Everyone else sees the romanticized version. I was, I was there. Again, I got people who got major churches now that said I, was, I grew up on this dude's contribution. So I, was the, I predate a lot of people's success. So I know them, and I, I think they know me, and I'm thinking, hey, aren't we friends forever? Aren't we in relationship forever? And uh, so you see the underbelly, and now I'm... My struggle in ministry is, again, apart from my own sin, which would be the biggest, next is successful ministry breeds a tier of people who only mess with the successful. So there becomes this break. There's a lack of continuity. You say, wait, we're all the people that, oh, 
they don't keep with you. They they go off to something else, and then you start looking. And you so look every now and then you'll run into people who know the history. So they have this timeline that has you connected. Right. They're like, yeah. if only you knew. I wish they knew that the connection is supposed to still be intact. Even if the ability to experience it may change. Like, oh, I don't have the same kind of time. I don't. It's we outgrow each other because we get a different palette. And I just think that that's friends appreciate. They don't depreciate. Friends are like, yo. And so when you get a different palette, it means because something's changed. What are you most focused on right now? among all those things that you sort of talked about doing? Two things I want to mention. Assuming on the foundation of maintaining a fortified foundation as a husband and as a father, I am working on my PhD so that academic access um, is an option, one that I plan on making use of. Secondly, I'm about to release a project called When Sacred Meets Secular. And uh, it will be the reemergence of the music platform, which I am then going to be very aggressive. I've been very low-key. I hardly tweet, I hardly on social media, because I was tired of voice without content, voice without substance. I mean, everybody's got a voice, so I was, you know, if you're not going to put out something tangible that people can just sit back and and, and, and pick apart and say, what is he trying to say uh, beyond his tweetable moment? So I was waiting till I release something. And then with that is going to come a very active presence in putting contributions into the stream. So uh, I'm a, right now I'm focusing on all that relates to getting this album. I'm doing it totally independent. It's not industry. So it will take a longer r- route. Again, one of the things that labels give you is instant lift. Right, right. And without that, you're going to, it's going to be a slower burn. But I will say that this project is going to be my reintroduction to being more vocal. People don't realize it, but everyone says, where you've been too silent too long, dudes, where have you been? But ever since that, I mean, we're about years, I have not been very vocal. I want to know when it comes to that project and what it represents as the start of you moving back into this having a, a more vocal approach. What is your deepest fear when it comes to doing that stuff? I mean, there's always the fear that, you know, I mean, what happens if something by God, you know, God forbid, what happens if you have another, you know, you fall again? Does that feel within the realm of likelihood? I know that's a weird question to ask. I feel the vulnerability. Yeah, I feel the vulnerability. I guess after, you know, if you've ever done it, you know, if you've ever had any major collapse, you know, it's like they say about Derrick Rose, right? Scared of that knee. Yeah. You know, you got to get yeah. out there and play with it. Yeah. Yeah. Before you're, you know, Paul George was able to, you know, in the end of paces, he, he's going back to Rio Olympics. And he says he's put it out of his mind because he wants to conquer it. Uh, uh, so I guess there's that fear um, that what happens, you get all of this momentum. People finally start listening to you again. And then, you know, so I don't know if that's the greatest fear, but that comes to mind because I really don't have any fears. Um, because I literally plan on being nobody and it really not doing much of anything that's not containable within just a, a, a small stewardship. So I feel I feel a little on the periphery of um, everybody who's doing doing it big. And I have a feeling that I wouldn't be surprised if God keeps me there. I wouldn't so be you're surprised. not aiming to be like Lecrae going to major no, make record label, no, that sort of thing? No. Now, again, I'm not doing anything to sabotage that other than being very explicit. And uh, that takes a concerted effort, you know, and I'm not putting that effort in. But I will say that I'm not shooting low. So God is definitely able. You're making good art. 
Absolutely. That's the idea. Oh, no, yeah. no, no question about that. Making good art and will wave the aroma as far as it can go. Um, but I say all of that to say that my greatest fear would probably be that. And then the, I think the second great, not greatest, but great fear is that people not understand it. Um, so the industry, and I mean that both the music and the ministry industry. Because the ministry industry, I now know, is the industry. Christian industry is industry. Yeah. These it's, conferences. The conferences. Big churches. Big churches. They all talk. Oh, <laughs> it is all Our very much. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. It's not like, I got to choose this carefully. Sometimes they won't be fair to the person who's not in step. And um, I just think that I'm going to be a little out of step with what they're already celebrating right now. Okay. And How they, so? Again, I think I'm I'm coming from a different pro, uh, different angle. I think I'm championing different things. I'm not as okay with some of the stuff that is making people a lot of money. And I have a respect for the freedom that an artist has to do just art. But I think just art is different than art surrendered to a truly missional paradigm. I do think it's impossible for Jesus to be muted and you claim that your primary goal is to make him known. I, 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 I'm, I'm not in step with that viewpoint. But I want to be able to disagree with that and still high five and have a burger with <laughs> right. the person who says differently. Yeah. And yeah. that's such a souring point. Between artists. Between artists, yeah. theologians, pastors, okay. magazines. You think So you think theologians can be upset at you for saying you got to no. talk about Jesus in your music? No, I think they'll be upset when you look at people who, when you say, hey, you all celebrate people who, who've diminished him in music. So it's one thing for a person to never have had Christ in. So if you hear a music, like, and it's just good music, Jesus is not in it, you just hear it as dope. You'll be like, yo, you hear such and such? So refreshing, good music. Well, you're holding it to the standard of music. If you hear robust, rich Christ content, you say, man, I can't believe it. Somebody took good music and used it to bring people a rich, robust Christ. Great combo. You're holding it to a different standard now. When you, when that's the brand, oh, now that becomes the brand. Oh, man, everything about it. I mean, I don't know what, you know, who, who's your, your go-to guys out here, but there are people who have brands. You know, Piper's the missional glory of God brand. The day Piper begins to get weak in the area of glory, in the area of he Christian hedonism is the day you would say he hasn't sinned, but this is there's a you notice the trend is going in a way that's this contra the brand that you become Apple. Suppose Apple starts getting sloppy, starts changing up all the, the simplicity, and it's it's one thing for you to see and understand why somebody's changing, but. It comes a point where you change something that's so pivotal to your brand that it comes a time when some changes are understood and other changes mess up what you have. And so what I'm saying is for a person to not have Christ in, they haven't sinned. For a person to have little Christ in, they haven't sinned. For a person to have a little more Christ in, they haven't sinned. All the way up to rich Christ. But when you get to rich Christ and then you begin to dwindle him down back to, and you teach people that this is your maturation. I'm getting smarter. I'm getting better. I'm getting more missional. I realize that all this richness is, I think when you sell people that that migration in the other direction is maturation. And you say, and all these dudes that's out here over here, 
They're only doing that because they can't want to reach anybody because you can't reach anybody with all this over here. We learned the hard way that this over here is actually counterproductive. Come this way with us, all you overdoers, overachievers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then everybody starts going. Everybody starts celebrating finally because guess what? Now godless people like you now that didn't like you before. And, uh, you know, people now, and all of a sudden when people start seeing that all the people you want to reach love this Jesus or this lack of Jesus more than they love that, then all of a sudden you're standing there looking dumb because everybody thinks you're either like, oh, don't you know we've wised up? You know what I mean? We've wised up. Nobody's doing that anymore. Like, oh, uh, y'all kill me with all this whack art. You're like, yo, this is the art that won you. And now this looks like whack art in and of itself, right? You start saying, well, listen, can you help me with art? Because I want to stay in this lane, but can you help me with my art? Well, we don't mess with people like you. We don't help make that good art. Because that in and of itself is counter good art. I have had people. I've had people. I've, I've gone to producers and everything. And once they hear you're still on that tip... They don't want to mess with you anymore. They want to mess with all the new school dudes because they don't think that, that they know there's a ceiling on that, barring God do something unique. But even the secular dudes will bless this. This, and again, you see the migration down here. Even secular people like this. And so they want it, they want that that their track and their production to be used with something that has some potential. This doesn't. Right. And so so, so the market's set up to support this sort of like... The new migration away from. Away from being more, maybe more, more explicit, explicit more robust, about Jesus. More robust, sort of more rich, yeah. And, and again, and still calling it the same thing because there's a there's room for explicitness. So you go to the worship and you, you know, explicit is good in worship music and explicit. It's not good in rap. According to the market. According to the market. It's not good in rap because historically there's always been a lid on it. Again, that's the the club checks out on that. Uh, the radio DJs, the secular DJs, everybody <laughs> yeah. checks out on it. So yeah, now yeah. even the Christians have checked out on it, yeah, right? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Now if you sell, they'll still get behind you, but they'll make you an exception. Not the welcomed rule won't be like, oh man, we're all in this together. Sure. See? So when I, you know, when when this album sort of encourages people to accept the lid. If that's what it comes with it. Oh, that's good, yeah. Yeah, it's just accept it. It's not even to shame or to say something about the dudes who've chosen to do something it's else. It's okay to be this. It's okay to be this. Yeah. In fact, it's noble. It's actually good. It's actually what produced a lot of the dudes that have migrated away from it. It produced them. You know, one of the things I say is, man, the fruit is you're the fruit. You know what I mean? Now you're doing something different. We'll see your fruit. You know what I mean? It's not about who I'm talking about. To me, it's not a person. It's, it's never alarming when a person does anything. It's alarming when that becomes the trend. And the assumption. And the assumption. Yeah. Excellent. If you could get in a time machine, go back in time, talk to yourself as a younger man, what would you tell him? So I've been depressed from seeming so duped about what I thought I knew. I've walked around with deep depressions about how frustrated I am that what I thought I knew was not so. So I guess I would tell myself, readjust. There are going to be things that you swear up and down you know. That you're going to be disappointed when you find out you didn't know what you thought you knew. And the level of disappointment proves you you were too sure. Adjust. Temper some of this over-the-top belief. Like, or at least trusting that you've rightly assessed and you've rightly believed. Because you shouldn't be thrown off your horse when you find that your thoughts 
were incorrect. Again, I give you the case in point. John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist is in prison. He says, hold on. I thought you were the one. Are you the one or should we expect another? The Lord Jesus says, you got me wrong, but don't worry about it because Messiah is here. Look at all the things I'm doing. I don't know what happened, what his mindset was in jail, but I could see me in there ready to hang, like ready to hang myself. I was wrong. Rather than saying, Jesus, how, did I get it wrong? And I think I would tell myself as a young man, pipe down. I know you got good hermeneutics, and I know you pretty much have sober assessments. You're still going to be wrong sometimes. You've been listening to The Calling. The Ambassador's new album is out now. It is called When Sacred Meets Secular. You can find his website at ambassador215.com. He's on Twitter at Ambassador215. Remember to rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps a lot. The Calling is produced, as always, by Cray Allred. Theme music, as always, by Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0.